good things. You got a chart there that I finished up for the study of Mary. And we've been looking at the three aspects of Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Luke chapter 1. We've been looking at Luke 26 through 56. It includes the Annunciation, the Visitation, and the Magnification. And we magnify the Lord. We don't venerate Mary, but what do we do? We imitate her. And we imitate how she magnified the Lord with her walk due to the Father's amazing grace. We magnify with our witness like she did by the Spirit's daily filling. Elizabeth shouted, Mary sang, John leapt and jumped in the womb. And we magnify with our worship of the Son's kingdom reversals. And today we're going to look at one single verse, just one single verse. And it's the last verse in this passage. And it's a verse that's easy to skip over. It's Luke 1, 56. So after this magnificent magnificat that magnifies the Lord, we read these words. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then return home. Do you see it there in your Bibles? Is it easy to skip over that? And yet, it's inspired. It's in the Bible there for a reason. So here's what I want you to see, that every verse in the Bible is there for a reason. So we should ask the triune God who authored the Bible to reveal the reason. And as I did this study and I'm looking through, I'm like, why is that there? Why is that there? And as I asked God to reveal that, as I did the following, here's what you do when you run across a verse like this. They may be insignificant, seemingly insignificant. They may be really difficult verses, but here's what you want to do. You want to ask the triune God to reveal the reason for that verse. And here's what you want to do. Number one, you want to... Uh, praying, you want to be praying and studying instead of just reading and reasoning. That helps reveal the reason. In other words, pray. Ask the author, why is this verse here? Ask him. And then you've got to study because here's the deal. There's gold in them, their hills. There's gold in the Bible, but it, it's not laying on the surface. And so when you see a verse like this or, or a difficult verse and you say, man, why is that verse there? Well, God, show me. And then you start studying. Number two, you start observing instead of just seeing. This helps reveal the reason. So you pray, you study, and then you begin observing rather than seeing. Why do I say? What's the difference between observing and seeing? Well, if you don't know, you just need to ask Sherlock Holmes, Okay. Because he tells Watson in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle uh, Sherlock mystery, A Scandal in Bohemia, he explains to, Sher uh, to Watson, Sherlock explains to Watson the difference. Here's what Watson says. When I hear you give your reasons, Watson remarked, the thing always appears to me to be so ridiculously simple that I could easily do it myself. Though at each successive instance of your reasoning, I am baffled until you explain your process. 
And yet I believe that my eyes are as good as yours. And here's what Sherlock says. Quite so. You see, but you don't observe. You see, but you don't observe. He goes on. The distinction is clear. For example, you have frequently seen the steps which lead up from the hall to this room. Frequently, Watson said. How often? Well, some hundreds of times. Then how many are there? How many? I don't know. Quite so. You have not observed. And yet you have seen. And this is just my point. Now I know that there are 17 steps because I have both seen and I have observed. When I went to Dallas Seminary, my first year, every first year student took a course with Dr. Howard Hendricks called Inductive Bible Study, what, what I have taught here as Berean Bible Study. And the first thing we were taught was how to observe. And how do you learn to observe? You just keep looking. You write down observations. So we had an assignment to observe Acts 1-8 and write down uh, uh, 25 observations, right? And so you're like, whoa, man, that's a lot. And so we came back the next day and he said, well, tell me about your observations. He said, great. Now go back and do 25 more. We're like, oh, my gosh. You know, we were already like, you know, just there's a period here, you know, and you had to go back. But when we went back, we realized there is so much more to see. You need to observe and not merely see. For instance, on this verse 56, it seems really odd. Mary stayed with her about three months. But if you notice the context, look back at verse 26. This whole passage began with a time indicator. Look at verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. And if you read even before that, you know the sixth month is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And you will know that she was in seclusion for five months. So there's all these time indicators. So this verse at the end of 56 that seemingly is so insignificant, there's things to observe and to see. And as you're observing, the third thing you want to do is questioning instead of just passing over helps to reveal the the reason. So as you observe, you write down what you observe, and then you write down questions. And so for this verse, here's some of the questions that I ask that, that you can ask. Like, why did Luke think it was important for us to know this verse? Secondly, what is the significance of when Mary left? Why does he tell us she stayed about three months? The six months in verse 26 and then the three months in verse 56. Now, I think women would know the significance of her, of his, of her arriving at Elizabeth's sixth month, which would mean she was entering her what? The, the, yeah, the last trimester. And then staying three months would mean what for Mary? It would be... Her first trimester, right? Are you seeing this? Okay, so there's something going on here. And then how does 
what comes before this, which is the Magnificat, this highlight, this climax that many in church history sing every single Sunday. I, I had a dear neighbor that uh, uh, died this past week and, and went to her funeral at uh, a local Catholic church, and they sang Ave Maria, and, and there was all sorts of, of things about Mary. In fact, her name was Mary as, as she was raised Catholic. And so what you got this Magnificat, and then you have this, this kind of ordinary phrase. And then what happens after this? It says in verse 57, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Well, that makes sense, because Mary arrived at her sixth month. Now it's about three months, and yet Mary leaves before John is born. What relative does that? Right? Interesting. And then finally, what is the significance of the repeated references to homes and houses in Luke 1 and 2? If you read through Luke 1 and 2, homes and houses. And we already see this in the passage we've been studying because Mary is in her home when the angel comes to her. And then she enters Zacharias's home and greets Elizabeth. And now she's returning to her home. Why is all this supernatural, miraculous things happening in ordinary homes? I think God wants us to see that. So Bereans find answers to these questions through an inductive process of observation, interpretation that will unlock for us the reason for this verse, and it's the basis of the entire lesson today. And here it is. Magnify the Lord with your whole life in the ordinary. In the ordinary. Magnify. We've been talking about magnify the Lord with your walk. Magnify the Lord with your witness. Magnify the Lord with your worship. And you're like, woohoo, here's this big song by Mary. And then you have this verse that I think is going to teach us this morning. Magnify the Lord with your whole life and do it in the ordinary. I don't know about you, but I think it's easy to be overwhelmed by a passage like this. We see it once a year at Christmas. We don't usually go through it in depth like we're doing now in the ordinary season of our lives. It's easy to be overwhelmed by the miraculous, by the supernatural in this passage. Uh, we, we can forget that Mary, as well as Zacharias, who has been struck dumb, as well as Elizabeth, who has this miraculous uh, birth, being an old barren lady. And even Joseph, who was mentioned in verse 27, I believe it was, at the beginning. And then, of course, Mary, a teenage virgin who conceives the incarnate. It's, it's easy to forget. These are ordinary people. They're ordinary people doing ordinary things when God interrupts and does the extraordinary in their lives. And I want you to see in this lesson that you, in your ordinariness, I assume we all feel we're rather ordinary, okay? In your ordinariness, in the ordinary, you can magnify the Lord with your whole life. You know, it's just not reserved for church. 
It's just not reserved for the miraculous. It's not just reserved for the supernatural. Right now, there's reports of revival breaking out at Asbury College over on the, uh, in Kentucky. And that is a wonderful thing, and we pray that it is spirit-wrought, and it will yield spirit fruit. But you know what? You can magnify the Lord whether revival is breaking out or not. And you can uh, magnify the Lord in the lowest of valleys that some of you may feel you're in, or the highest of good times where it seems like, I don't need the Lord, everything's going good. So here's what we're going to see. Three ways that we can magnify the Lord, and it's all from this one verse. So let's take a look at it. First of all, we magnify the Lord with our whole life by serving, by simply serving. And where do I get this? It doesn't say serving in the text, but Mary stayed, I believe, to serve Elizabeth in her final three months of pregnancy with John. Now, I don't know this for a fact, except uh, uh, vicariously through my wife, but what are the hardest, often the hardest three months of pregnancy? Well, the first three months aren't that easy. Well, maybe the middle three months aren't that easy either. But the final three months can be difficult. Especially, you got to remember, how old is Elizabeth? She's very old, okay? And she's carrying a child in her last trimester. Mary stayed with her. Here's what the New American said. Mary stayed with her about three months. The emphasis is staying with her. Why? To serve her. Elizabeth's old. And when her and Zacharias miraculously conceived John, and after this supernatural miracle of the virgin conception and the magnificent song, what does Mary do? Now, what would we do? I mean, here's all this miraculous stuff. What do we do today? I mean, we can see Mary taking a selfie, posting it on her Instagram. Big things happening. Man, you ought to see what's happening with my relative. You wouldn't believe what's happened to me. And, And posting about it, writing a book. If she was today, it would be doing an Oprah interview. But what does Mary do? She serves. She stays and she serves in a home unseen and she serves her older relative. She remains with her very old and very pregnant relative to do what? To help her through the hardest months of her pregnancy. Why did Mary do this? Mary helps others. Because the triune God has helped her. That's what she just sang about. You have helped me. And when God does something for you, then you do that for others. That's why we're praying for Turkey today. Not because they've done anything for us. Not because we can get anything from them. It's because people prayed for us when we were lost. And so we pray for them. She helped because she had been helped. She's mindful of the humble Because the Lord was mindful of her in her humility. That's what she just sang about. Now she's living it out in the ordinary. She is merciful to others. Why? Because the Lord had been merciful to her. I'm just telling you, this verse is there to show that Mary magnified the Lord with her whole life. Not just witness here, worship there, but her whole walk 
and her whole life, even in the ordinary. And when God did something big and wonderful, he, she praised him. But then she got down at the street level and carried it out for others. I just think that's amazing. I mean, that is just amazing. She served. Let me ask you, do you see Mary's song flowed from her life? See, this song didn't just happen. Yes, she was spirit-filled. Yes, God had done a miraculous thing, but it flowed out of her life. She magnifies the Lord in the ordinary by serving others in need, especially other believers. So let me ask you this morning, do you feel ordinary? Do you feel ordinary compared to what has happened to the people in this passage? Sure, we all do. Angelic greetings, virgin conceptions, miraculous births by barren old ladies and teenage virgins, an unborn baby being filled with the Spirit and her mother. I mean, this is crazy, extraordinary, miraculous stuff. It's easy for them to magnify the Lord, but in my life, nothing special happens. In my life, it's ordinary. In my life, what has the Lord done? But listen, listen. These were ordinary believers, and they were doing ordinary things like godly believers do that largely go unnoticed, unseen, and un or underappreciated. That's what was going on in their life before this happened. And guess what? Verse 56 tells us that was what was going on after these things happened. The Lord gave them grace to magnify them with their whole lives in the ordinary. And how did they do it? Simply by serving. Simply by serving. So let's bring this home for us. First of all, how do we magnify the Lord in the ordinary? By active service. Active service. So here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about active service present needs, and random acts, okay? Active service. Many of you, right here in this class, actively serve our church doing ordinary things that might seem insignificant. But they're not. They're not if they're done to make much of the Lord and if they meet needs. If you're doing the ordinary in our church to make much of Him... And to meet a need, no matter how small it may seem, then that is magnifying the Lord. I mean, I, I appreciate making coffee, right? We have folks that come, and many of them are right here in this room that make coffee on a regular basis. Started out as a ministry to our church, and then uh, we spread it to the church, and they come early, just like the praise team comes early, unseen and often unnoticed. And here they are, making the mission videos. I, I make much of that because I know we are blessed by that. But Randy and Audrey, so, I mean, they're texting me all throughout the week. And I don't know, up late. How, how's it going, Audrey, with them videos? It's, it's just going. No one sees. No one knows. No one, you wouldn't know. If I didn't mention it, you wouldn't know. They don't miraculously just show up in all the Discovery Hour classes. Somebody is, uh, Randy stays up till like 2 o'clock in the morning. I mean, these guys are in different time zones. With Amber being in Budapest, believe me, I, we understand how this works. It's weird time zones. And, and then sometimes they don't always show up for their appointed time, do they, Randy? 
So God bless you as you do that, two in the morning. And I'm thankful that he doesn't call me to say that they didn't answer his phone call. But all of these things go on, the missions, the, the sound, the PowerPoint, all these things. Our finance team, I see Susan and just, you know, the hours that they put in. All of these things are active service. Listen, those who are truly born again are saved to serve. They're saved to serve. And not just at one season in your life, but the, out, your, throughout your whole life. Your whole life. I was just reading Leviticus or uh, Numbers, Numbers 5 this morning, about how God redeemed the firstborn through the Exodus. They are mine. And then he redeemed the Levitical, uh, the nation of Levi or the tribe of Levi, and they were put into service. And I was just thinking again, our whole life, we're redeemed to serve. What about present needs? Well, right now we have needs in the preschool. We have needs in our youth. Uh, there's always a need. Uh, Jason Michelzik does a great job cutting the grass, but it's always helpful when there's another, uh, another person to do that. Uh, praise team, sound. We have the Easter extravaganza coming up. What can I do there? There's always something to be done. And this is how we magnify the Lord. You say, yeah, but no one ever really thanks me. You know, no one ever really sees me. But that's the point. Mary stayed with her. We wouldn't even known if God hadn't known. But God knows, God sees, and God rewards. And then finally, random acts of kindness, just to serve others. I've, I've mentioned this several times in this class, and I can always grow in this, but I do try to do it. Just simple things, telling people, and, and, and honestly, with service the way it is today, you know, if I get on the phone and somebody solves a problem for me on the phone, I, you know, I just tell them, you are my hero for the day. You're the hero for the day. And they do what Tegan just did. They laugh. They just laugh. And they're thankful. And it's just a good thing to do. You come up with your own phrase or you use that one. I don't care. But tell people, man, thank you. Now I have my rants and my ravings and my yellings. You know, Gwen and Amber will leave the room when there's difficulties on the phone. Uh, there's all that. But what I'm saying is when people do their job and do it well, we need to make big thing of that today more than ever. Just a smile. And, and just get, or, or, you know, like sometimes there's people that come in here and especially in the summer and they're tired and they're ragged and I'll go get them a bottle, I'll come down here, get them a bottle of water. And I always make a point, have a drink in the name of Jesus to point them to him. I mean, just, I don't know what it does. It doesn't matter. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be giving it in Jesus name, right? Hey, I just appreciate you. Christ has done so much for me, and you have just helped me. I just want to say thank you. So there's all sorts of these little ways to serve in the ordinary. What do you think? Make sense? Okay. Well, Mary magnified the Lord with her whole life by simply serving others in the ordinary. But there's another way to magnify the Lord in this verse, and it's this, by surrendering. By surrendering. Mary stayed in surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now look there in verse 56. And do you see the Holy Spirit there? Now come on now. Do you see the Holy Spirit in verse 56? 
No, good answer, Audra. That's simple observation. There's no Holy Spirit there. Where are you getting that? Well, I would say to you, I'm getting it from the context. What did Mary just do? She just sang a Spirit-filled song. You say, well, I don't even see the Spirit. It doesn't say Mary sang filled with the Spirit. It says John was filled. It says Elizabeth was filled. Well, what's the implication? The implication that she was filled. Plus, we know at the beginning of the passage that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her to produce the miracle of the virgin conception. And we know that the later songs in Luke expressly say Simeon was filled with the Spirit when he sang. And... and um, and so we see these songs where or it was Simeon and who was the other one? Um, I'm drawing a blank now. Anna. Anna. Well, it doesn't say she was filled with the Spirit, though. Um, man, one, I'm missing one of my songs. Well, I guess the angels. Yeah. Anyway, it will come to me. But the point being, it's implied. It's inferred. It's there. And why did she stay those three months? She stayed to serve. But here's where I see the leading of the Spirit. I see the leading of the Spirit because she left right before the birth. Now, that was what isn't natural, and that's what doesn't make sense. If you're there to be with her in the last trimester, who leaves? Right before the birth, especially in those days where you're not going to a hospital and you need all hands on deck. I would say to you, it's the Spirit's leading in her life. She has surrendered to the Spirit. Let me see if I can... If I, and I, this, is, this is somewhat speculative, so it's not there. But you have, to lead, you, know, you have to bring Scripture to Scripture. If you're convinced, great. If you're not, that's okay too. But here's what I see. Why didn't Mary stay for that birth? Why not help? If she's helping... Why not help with the delivery? Well, we're not told explicitly why she left when she did, but it seems she left for the same reason that she sang and that she stayed, the leading of the Holy Spirit. She stayed to serve, and she left out of surrender to the leading of the Spirit. Let me show you. First of all, God's redemptive timing has a priority and a purpose that's not always known to us. God's redemptive timing has a divine priority and purpose that's not always known to us. Mary leaves right before John was born according to God's redemptive timing. Why? Because the birth of John, he's the forerunner. And Jesus... And his mother, they represent the new age and the new covenant. And so to take, make sure that the focus wouldn't be on Mary and the incarnate child in her womb, the Spirit leads her to leave prior to the birth of the forerunner. And therefore, the emphasis, the focus is on the forerunner. You say, I don't know, really? Well, think about this. The Spirit led Elizabeth to be secluded for the first about five months of her pregnancy. And I think the reason for that is no one knew she was pregnant. Therefore, when the angel Gabriel came and told Mary, your relative is pregnant, 
The sign was supernatural because no one would have told her. No one could have told her. The timing of these ladies and what's going on in their pregnancies and when they visit and when they live, leave are all a part of God's redemptive purposes, and yet they don't even know it necessarily. You say, well, what's that mean for you and I? Well, it means simply this. Sometimes the Spirit leads you to do things according to His Word. Oh, not, not that pizza you ate last night. Not that, you know, uh, this, this is bad circumstances. The Spirit's leading me out of them. You know, those are better circumstances. The Spirit's... No, I'm talking about when the Spirit leads you by His Word. And you just don't... You don't know why. You, you, it doesn't make sense. And you don't want to stay, but the Spirit says stay. Or the Spirit says leave, and you don't want to leave. But you know the Spirit says... Sometimes we just need to surrender to God's word and God's spirit and know that he's working his redemptive purposes, even though we don't understand it. Does that help? See, we want all the answers. You know, think about Job. God had redemptive purposes in the life of Job. And yet the Lord allowed the devil. The Lord didn't do it. He allowed it. He allowed the devil to take everything from him, even his health. Unfortunately, he left his wife in his life who said, curse God and die. Okay, that's the only thing he had left, and that's what his wife said to him. But he had nothing, and he wanted all the answers. And yet God was working a redemptive purpose. And you remember when I taught through Job that when we got to the end of it, God never told him the answers. God, Job never, he died never knowing that there was a spiritual battle of which he was center, center stage. God is working his redemptive purposes and his timing. He's never early. He's never late. It's always perfect. And so bad things happen in our lives. Good things happen in our lives. Sometimes we're led to this. Sometimes we're led to that. In Mary's life, she left right before the birth of John, where naturally, humanly, she would have stayed. Why? Because God's redemptive plan was the forerunner needed to be center stage to point forward to the coming Messiah. And if you read through Luke, further validation of this, it goes John and then Jesus, John and then Jesus, John and then Jesus. But here's what I don't want you to miss. This is all working out in the ordinary. Schedules, school, work, retirement, births, funerals, sickness, raises, setbacks, job losses. All of this is being worked out in the ordinary. But God has a redemptive timing that has a purpose and a priority. Secondly, what's this mean for us? Well, if you want to magnify the Lord in the ordinary, be sensitive and submissive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do I, you know, how do I know when to stay to leave? How do I know when to go? And, and you know, how, how, do, how do I know? Well, every day, be sensitive and surrender to the Spirit's leaving, leading. So think about it this way. When the Spirit prompts you to do something that's consistent with the Word of God, 
then be quick to hear, quick to obey from the heart and do it. When the Spirit leads you to pray, what should you do? Pray. But what do we often do? Do what? Worry. But, I mean, what, what, what do we often do when the Spirit... I mean, first of all, do you know what I'm even talking about? Has Spirit ever prompted you to pray? And what do we... What do we maybe I'm just confessing my own sins here, Dana. Dana, help me out. Polo, Dana P. back there. Do you ever, do you ever get prompted... And you don't pray? Come on now. Do you ever lie? (laughs) Let's just cut to the chase. Yes, we get prompted to do. I don't know about you. I mean, listen, if if you're born again, the Spirit dwells in you. Here's the thing. When I study the leading of the Spirit, the Spirit's always leading. The question is whether we're following. You know, you don't have to say, well, Lord, are you leading me to do anything? No, the Spirit is always leading. The question is, are we following? You know, so I get prompted to pray. And I'll sit there and think about it. Well, I'm being prompted to pray. I'll have to remember to pray for that purpose. No, no, no. I've tried to teach myself pray. So using technology, I've started, I'll type out my prayers to people. You know, I mean, I'm trying to move away from, I'll pray for that. Because you know what? You don't do it. Or, or we just, I mean, how often with this technology we say, praying, prayers. I mean, we don't even do that. You just do the emoji. It's like, I don't want your emoji. I want your prayers. I want your prayer. Now, send me your emojis. I'm not saying that. But type out a prayer. I try to include verses. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, listen, the Spirit doesn't use emojis. He uses His Word. Right, and he uses spirit-filled prayers, and I have had the blessing after the fact in the ordinary when somebody, in fact, a member of this class was very hurting, going through a very difficult time, sent her a psalm, and later, only later, you know, later we were in our we were talking and and saying, well, what's your favorite psalm? And this lady said, well, it's this, and I said, why is that? Well, someone sent it to me, dummy. You. Oh, okay, okay. I remember that. Yeah, because see, that's how the Spirit works. It's not my smartness or yours. It's not your spirituality or mine. It's the prompting of the Spirit, and we are just vessels to be used like Mary and Elizabeth and Zacharias. and. Does that make sense? The Spirit leads us to witness, so what do we do? We should witness. We should witness. Yes. That's why we need the Spirit's help. Right? Was any of this easy? And I appreciate that. I'm not, I'm not now preaching to you. Is any of this easy for Elizabeth? Is any of this easy for Mary? We're going to see in a moment. No, none of this is easy. But it's powerful. And it magnifies the Lord with our whole lives, even in the ordinary. When the Spirit leads us to repent and obey. You ever had those promptings? What I have found is I've had times where the Spirit has almost figuratively, but like emotionally shook me to convict me and have me repent. But most of the time, it's like, don't do that. And keep doing it. Stop that. 
keep doing it. Go tell that, you know, go say something to that person. You need to visit them. You need to send them a note. You need to do this. You need to do that. And, 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 and they're all good things. And to be, let's be honest, they're all things that I want to do as a Christian. Are you with me? It's not like, oh, I got to do that. You know, what a taskmaster. You know, I, I, I got loose from Satan's bondage. Now I'm under the Lord's bondage. He's always telling me what to do. No, it's what I want to do. But the flesh doesn't want to do it. That's what's going on here. Mary magnified the Lord with her whole life by, by surrendering in the ordinary. She remained and returned according to the leading of the Spirit, knowing the Lord's ways are not our ways. The Lord's timing, though, is always perfect. So, here's the deal. She stayed for three months, and then she left to go back home. Because here's what Carmen was saying. This stuff isn't easy. In fact, it was costly to marry. And that's the third point I want you to see, and it's this. We magnify the Lord in our whole lives by sacrificing. By sacrificing. Now, think about this. It's right there. Mary returned home after her first three months of pregnancy with Jesus. So what does that mean, ladies? What does that mean for Mary? Do what? Back to normal? Is everything normal with Mary? What's going on with Mary after three months? She's starting to show. So here's this lady who we know... She, we, in verse 26, listen to me, verse 26, she is already betrothed, verse 27 actually, already betrothed. And betrothal was formal marriage without consummation, and it usually took uh, anywhere to a, a year. So she spent the first three months of her betrothal out of town, Perhaps no one knows where. And she comes back, what? Pregnant, Pregnant, three months showing. What are they going to say? What are they going to say? They're going to have all sorts of questions. They're going to say, where have you been? What have you been doing? And who is the? The father. Who is the father? She is just now beginning to show. And we know, so here's what's interesting, is when you turn over to Matthew 1, 18, you get the story of Jesus. And here's what Matthew 1, 18 says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that's verse 26 in Luke chapter 1. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. By the Holy Spirit. Well, when did they find her to be with child? After she's been out of town for three months and comes back. So Matthew 18, where Joseph says, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to put her away, but I'm a godly man. I'm not going to disgrace her. He is doing that after she's been gone and comes back pregnant. So here's the thing. If you're Mary, this was sacrificial for her to stay and then return when she did. So here's the thing. Magnifying the Lord with your whole life, as Carmen said, is hard. It's costly. 
And it's not always fun and games. It's not always miracles and praise songs. You don't just get to sing the Magnificat all day long and magnify the Lord. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. It is costly. So let's just, Sila, pause and reflect here. Pause and reflect about this. First of all, I want you to see, number one, serving, surrendering, and sacrificing are essentials of biblical worship. This is what got me. When you step back from this, serving, surrendering, or submitting, and sacrificing are the core essentials. Not singing. Singing is a part of worship. What she did in the Magnificat was worship. It was praise. It was spirit-filled praise. But too often in our culture, we say, boy, the worship was good. And when people say the worship was good, mostly what they're talking about is singing. And they think worship is singing. Oh, and then you got preaching. And then you pray. But what about these essentials? These are huge. Listen, listen. If your weekly worship doesn't result in serving, then you haven't been worshiping. If your weekly worship doesn't result in a continual surrender of more of who you are to more of who God is, then you aren't worshiping, no matter how many times you come here each week. If your weekly worship doesn't cost you anything, you never sacrifice anything, you never offer to the Lord back that which is His, you're not truly worshiping. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And aren't you glad that the Lord's sacrifice, the Lord's surrender, and the Lord's serving us, He is our perfect substitute. He is our sinless substitute. And so we don't serve to earn anything. We don't sacrifice to gain God's attention. All that has been bestowed on us through Christ Jesus. We do these things out of a heart of gratitude. Secondly, serving, surrendering, and sacrificing is just another way of saying, be living sacrifices. Be living sacrifices. When I, when I saw these three characteristics in this verse, surrounding and explaining this verse, I realized Mary is simply being a living sacrifice. Notice what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. By the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? His sacrifice. His serving us. His surrender of His life to pay the price for our sins. Those are the mercies of God. Everything that came in Romans 1 through 11. By the mercies of God, my brothers, I urge you, therefore, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then spiritual gifts follow in Romans 12. Sacrifice, serving, Present your bodies. That's surrendering. And then thirdly, serving, surrendering, and sacrificing can all be done by the ordinary. In the ordinary. Isn't that good? Serving, surrendering, and sacrificing can all be done by the ordinary, in the ordinary. This is why I think it's significant that they are in the home of Elizabeth. And she returns to her home. 
because folks, you don't have to be a vocational pastor. You don't have to be a vocational uh, missionary. You don't have to be in the church building all the time. We, we serve through our ordinary lives, where you go to school, where you work, where you live. That's the focus of what's going on here. How do ordinary people magnify the Lord? It's by God's grace through faith. Look in your notes. The progressive revelation of Mary's life song goes like this. The father chose her by his grace for the virgin conception. This is the beginning of this passage we studied. Then the son was her human son, but more importantly, her divine son. That's the end of this passage. But then the Spirit will indwell her just like any other disciple. You know, there's only a few other passages that mention Mary in the Gospels. But the last time we see Mary is in Acts 1.14. Last time she's mentioned by name. She is there with the other 120 disciples praying and waiting just like an ordinary disciple for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so in a real sense... This is also the progression of the Bible. The Father in the Old Testament, the Son is highlighted in the Gospels, and the Spirit's at work in His church in the Epistles. This is the progression of the triune God. So how do we magnify the Lord with our whole life? Surrender your whole life and do it in the ordinary to be living sacrifices in the service of the Lord and his people. I hope this encourages you not to to make much of the Lord. Well, maybe let, let me say it this way. You know, Mary, the extreme is to make too much of her or to make too little of her. Well, that needs to be our balance in our own lives. Don't make too much of yourself, but then again, don't make too little of yourself. Because you can make much of the Lord in the ordinary. But you got to serve. And that takes surrender. And surrender always means sacrifice. So let's magnify the Lord this week. Amen. And we can do that whether the Chiefs win or lose. Okay. And you can find pleasure in that. Whether they win or lose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing single verse out of Mary's life. And it just reminds us again of why we should not make too little of this lady. She is a spirit-filled, surrendered servant of yours. At the same time, Lord, may our ordinary lives make much of you in the same way. If there's any here that are struggling in serving who are struggling and persevering and doing good, uh, encourage them by this and by your spirit. If there's any here that are resisting your spirit promptings, whatever those may be, as long as they're consistent with your word, Lord, as long as they match with wise, godly counsel, Lord, then let us not resist. We, we know, Lord. So if there's sins to be repented of, May repentance happen. If there's sin to be confessed, confession. If reconciliation is needed, may we be reconciled. 
with one another as much as it depends on us. And Father, may we offer up the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of giving, the sacrifice of our lives, not being conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds with your people, with your word, and by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.